Hey guys, welcome to Whole Human Radio, where I bring you the next generation of transformation topics, guides, teachers, and concepts so that you can develop a deeper, more loving, more holistic relationship with yourself, and as a result, have better relationships within all areas of your life. We are multidimensional beings, and we need to learn how to work with, honor, and acknowledge all aspects of our whole human experience, which is why each week I'll be bringing you uncommon, sometimes unpopular conversations where I deconstruct and demystify these high-level, one-dimensional concepts, self-help topics, empowerment, spirituality, and relationship principles that can sometimes leave us feeling more at war with ourselves, more dissociated, and like we didn't get invited to the secret spiritual sorority where everyone just thinks positive thoughts and it's all of a sudden manifesting magic and happiness all the time. So thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hey guys, I'm so happy to tell you the whole whole human story today. I get some questions about where whole human came from or what my story is that kind of led up to the whole human birthing, if you will. And so I asked Iris McAlpin, who is a dear friend, a fellow coach, and someone who's very intimate with the whole human journey and story to ask me some questions today to help tell this story that is very important. It's a very important part of my journey, um, but I think it will give you some insight into what I'm doing here and why I'm so passionate about bringing you this more holistic conversation around what it really means to heal, love, and thrive, and transform as humans. So thank you for being here. Let me know what you think. Um, And as always, please go ahead and subscribe or review or share with a friend because that's always helpful as well. And just thank you for being here. I appreciate you guys. I wouldn't have made it this far if it hadn't been for your support and um, reaching out to me and giving me the feedback that you guys have been giving me. So I do this for you guys. Okay. Enjoy your show. Iris. Hello. (laughs) Hello. So you're interviewing me today on whole human and all this whole human stuff where it came from. Yeah. So I, I have heard this story before, but I want to hear it again because it's amazing. How did the whole human movement come to be? Like, so I think where it really started, where it was kind of, it feels like it was being birthed out of me was in at the end of 2013 and beginning of 2014, where I was coming out of this very difficult uh, breakdown, kind of breakthrough situation, because I was trying to get out of this toxic relationship that didn't really make sense to me based on what at, at the time I thought about my family of origin, which I thought I had come from this very like normal dysfunctional family, if you will, like, you know, like a normal dysfunction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, I was also for all intents and purposes, very empowered, very ind- independent, very resilient, very positive, well-versed in things like self-love and self-worth. And, and so I, I began to say, well, first of all, I was in a ton of pain, not only in the relationship, but trying to get out of the relationship. But I began to sort of sense that something wasn't right. There was something not clicking between all the personal development, positive thinking, empowerment training I'd been plugged into. And then the reality 
of the situation and this abusive, toxic relationship that had lasted for about two and a half years, there was something, there was this huge gap divide between what I thought I knew about myself and my life and what was actually, what I was actually creating. Hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting because I hear you talking about, you know, that you were well-versed in self-love and all this positivity, yet you were also in pain and something we've talked about in the past I'd be curious to hear you speak about in this context is dissociation and what role that played in that time period of your life. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I did, I didn't realize at the time that I was dissociated. Obviously, like I said, I was a high functioning codependent or traumatized individual. I had sort of survived all of this crazy stuff in my life trauma, um, things like, uh, getting diagnosed with a brain tumor and near death experiences and my parents getting divorced and having family members murdered. And then a stepmother committing suicide my freshman year in college. And I kind of survived all this stuff or went through it. I should say very stoically or very positively and accepting everything, you know, everything, everyone and everything for not, I didn't, I don't think I thought it was divinely ordained or, or div, as a part of the, um, I don't think I even thought about God that much back then, actually, ironically, mm-hmm. but I just felt like everything was happening the way it was supposed to be happening. Everything happens for a reason. And I, um, was very disconnected from, or never even remember feeling anything like, let's say frustration or fear or anger when I got diagnosed with a brain tumor or, you know, when someone, that I was close to was murdered and killed. I, I just didn't have access to any of it. Yeah. What's the question that keeps coming to me is, you know, you were high functioning despite all of these things happening, which is more than most people have to deal with in a lifetime. And you dealt with this fairly early on in your life. How did it go from you, you know, being high functioning and going through all of that with this sort of spiritual bypassing or psychological whitewashing of these experiences. Like what was the turning point that had you realize like, yes, I am high functioning and no, this isn't working. Yeah. Okay. So I love that question. This is why I asked you to interview me because you're the (laughs) best interviewer. Um, (laughs) I don't have to think about anything. Um, So it was, it was, there was this day in particular, actually, I had, was about, I was on the back end. I think I was about three months into this, this breakup situation. I had finally found enough strength to leave this abusive relationship. And I remember I was getting out of the shower one day and I was so frustrated. I was, I was in so much deep, deep, deep pain and I was so frustrated and I was frustrated with myself and I was frustrated with the self-help that I was plugged into. Like I was still kind of, I think at the time, I remember looking to some of the blogs and the people that I looked up to for some answers to why this was so difficult, like why I couldn't just slap on like my self-worth or just let this toxic relationship go and it'd be just like easy peasy, right? And so I'm getting out of the shower and I'm experiencing this pain that was so uncomfortable for me. And I literally was on my bedroom floor. I I remember it was a day off and I kind of collapsed and, you know, in one of those like fetal positions on my bedroom floor and I was just crying out loud. And I was like, why don't I love myself? 
because I thought I did? Why don't I love myself because I thought I did? I think what I was starting to feel, some of the pain that I was starting to feel was this heartbreak over my own abandonment of myself. Like that Mm. was what was bubbling up for me in that moment. And what I heard back when I asked that question, whether it was, you know, a divine download or just time that I had to get it right from so many years of doing it wrong or whatever was Megan, you're not just an intellectual being with a mind and thoughts and a criminal ego. You're an emotional being as well. And you need to feel to heal. And so that was the beginning of what I consider my self love journey. Like that was the real beginning, even though prior to that, I had all the sticky notes on my wall, right? That like, (laughs) (laughs) this was the actual beginning of me starting to feel everything. My ashamed little mind and positive thinking had ever taught me not to feel. And it was like this total moment. I feel like of surrender from sheer exhaustion. And that began the beginning of this unraveling and deconstructing of what was going on. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the little sticky notes because I think that's something that a lot of people do. And a lot of coaches talk about like, Oh yeah, just like cover your entire environment in positivity and affirmations. And I think you and I both know that affirmations, if the inner work hasn't been done mm-hmm. in tandem or prior to using those affirmations, it's like putting icing on a mud pie So, you know, what is the alternative then, you know, if you don't have access to, and I think you already spoke to it, but I want to hear you expand on this more, you know, if you don't have access to anything else, if you just are, you know, wanting to go with these positive affirmations, what is the step that goes before that? How do we actually let the affirmation sink in? You mean like if, if that's all you know to do mm-hmm. is a positive yeah. affirmations? Well, I, that's kind of what whole human is about is trying to change yeah. that so that people, and I think there is more people out there talking about feeling your feelings and the integration work and the self-connection work, um, and the trauma. There's definitely a trauma narrative out there that was not out there when I was seeking and searching for answers. But let me just back up for a second too, because sure there was, there was this moment too. And in, in, in that moment on my floor and maybe, and maybe it wasn't right there in that moment. Maybe it was part of the very beginning of that deconstruction period where I realized that just because I wanted to have more positive empowered, pretty thoughts and beliefs, but I, so I knew that I, just because I wanted them, it was obvious to me or thought that I had them like because I thought that I loved myself and I obviously didn't then what also would be true is I can't think my way or force my way into having more positive, empowered core beliefs, feelings about myself. So, so, so that was the realization that our thoughts and our beliefs aren't always strictly these logical, conscious, rational constructs that we attack from the rational, logical, conscious, um, like that's like working on like a symptom instead of working mm. on the core problem. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a problem out there, an issue out there that I feel like I'm helping to contribute, uh, to solve, which is that we have to go 
and we have to learn how to really love ourselves. And what that means is, is that going into relationship with all aspects of ourself and learning how to become this unconditionally loving, safe, compassionate space for our whole human experience. So that some of this deeper, shadowy, tender, imperfect stuff can come up. Yeah. You talk to a lot of people about these issues and the complexities of, of being human. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why it is you think we're so afraid to feel. Uh, so I think it's a multidimensional problem. I think a lot of it is family of origin for sure, mm-hmm. because we don't have, and you and I, and you and I have talked about this a lot because of your experience with trauma too in your own life, like we just don't have the safe space oftentimes to feel or even have the guide to help us understand what we're feeling as young people. And maybe we're indirectly and sometimes directly. I know I was directly given the message that it wasn't safe to be emotional. Like I was told that over and over and over again, that I was too emotional, Mm. too dramatic, I needed to be an actress. Like I actually was compared to like a famous actor anyway. So I'm giving you, so you, so maybe for someone else, they might've been indirectly given the message that we're safe, secure, and loved when we're in control, happy and and inspired. And so I feel like that's a lot of it is a family of origin. And when we're, you know, our parents don't necessarily, most of them probably didn't have, um, you know, great family of origin, they've got their own wounding too, right? So they're just using the tools that they know how to use. I don't know. You know, it's, I think it's mainly family of origin. And then you get into our culture, which just sort of reinforces this happiness, positivity, be inspired and control, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it happen. Uh, You know, you can do anything and be anything. You know, there's all this crap that we're fed. And then, and then if you're sensitive or an empath or you in any way, shape or form sense this deeper disconnect, but don't have a way to articulate it or even understand it, you go seeking these other communities for help and Hmm. it just compounds the issue. Yeah. So what were some of the ways that it compounded the issue for you? Well, um, (laughs) (laughs) when I was looking for answers, what I was exposed to or bombarded with, what was really, what was mainstream and what was out there at the time, I didn't really have much choice was, you know, the secret and the law of attraction and, you know, just to think it and it will happen or just to believe it and it will come and, uh, Wayne Dyer and the power of your thoughts and your thoughts create your reality. And, you know, I had a PhD in positive thinking and a master's in my (laughs) shit. Like it wasn't as if I was running around with a victim narrative. I really wanted to be empowered. And, um, Eckhart Tolle was a lot of my training. I'm going to be like, you know, hundred percent honest. I listened to that man's book, the power of now on tape over and over and over again. And, yeah. but that's because like a girlfriend gave it to me and it was like the new thing and Oprah was showcasing him. So, you know, I had a little bit of some other people like Byron Katie, but, uh, it was basically like I was observing my pain body and my ego all the time and calling it not real, not true. And I remember at one point in time, I had this thought, like I felt so so 
flatlined and so like almost muted. And Mm. it was like this, it was like, I was this, I felt like a void kind of, it was the weirdest sensation. And I thought to myself, if this is how life, like if this is what's supposed to be better than how, whatever it was that I was living and feeling before, then I'm not sure that I wanted life to feel this way. But I ignored that thought Mm. because it was, you know, because the pervasive mainstream, you know, if you want to be enlightened or conscious or empowered or whatever was to just call all this shit out is not real and not true and less than and observe it. And it'll just, you'll find peace. (laughs) Just a story, Megan. (laughs) I know. Just drop your story. story. Just love yourself. You're already love. Like, (laughs) Oh my God. Can we talk about the role of the nervous system and all this? Because I think yeah. Like, like you, I had that experience where, you know, my, my history is a little different. I have a, a lot of sexual trauma in my past and in other forms as well, but that was sort of the, the bulk of the, the issue for me. And after doing a lot of transformational work and reading all of Eckhart Tolle's work and Wayne Dyer and Byron Katie and all of the people yeah. that everybody I think starts with, I became more empowered with air quotes, um, (laughs) to like go out and function and do things. But my nervous system was still, still so dysregulated that I was kind of shooting myself in the foot. It was like a delayed reaction where I was able to go out there and do a bunch, but then the aftermath of that was pretty significant. And I think you had some similar experience as well. Well, what do you mean? Like that? What do you mean you were shooting yourself in the foot? Uh, You mean like you were like, that was like a delayed stress response, kind of Mm -hmm. almost like you were suppressing, suppressing, suppressing in a sense. Yeah, because I had this newfound energy from a lot of the what I would call cognitive bypassing that a lot of those modalities do like, landmark, which I think has a lot of value, but you know, if, if that's the only method that is being explored, there's a, there's not a lot of space for feeling and there's no real discussion or yeah, there's no discussion at all of dysregulation in the nervous system that can Mm -hmm. come from trauma and how to address that. And so, you know, I didn't have any awareness of that. I was just sort of running on fumes of personal empowerment mm-hmm. jargon basically and was able to go out and really push myself outside my comfort zone. But because I hadn't done the self-regulation piece in terms mm-hmm. of rebalancing my nervous system mm-hmm. later on down the road, that came back to bite me mm-hmm. where it just, it eventually caught up to me and would spend, you know, weeks at a time in bed because my nervous system was so out of whack. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, right, I think there's multiple, there's so many layers of what's wrong with the positivity, cognitive, spiritual bypassing. You know, I think basically in a larger picture, what I'm trying to say is like, most of us, what we struggle with is the being human part. And so... Like, <laughs> learning how to connect to and go into relationship with and understand our humanity 
in a loving, compassionate, patient way first is probably a good first step because a lot of us missed out on that in our childhood. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates this nervous system dysregulation, the freeze, flight, fight, or flight, you know, responses that get frozen in our neurobiological system. And then we, we, like you said, you're like, you've got this newfound energy or this newfound empowerment, but there's still this whole wealth of information and stuff going on in your body and your emotional body and your, even in your energetic body. Like you don't, you're not actually clearing through anything. It feels like you are at first, Mm -hmm. but I found that I like, and I think this is also what you're kind of talking about too, is like, you're still just jammed up into your head. You're still just as disembodied. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, doing, it's not just about like doing the feeling work all at once. Like that's not necessarily like that isn't even, wasn't even the reality for me. It was, I don't even think that's possible. Like I think our bodies are still pretty intelligent and that like I only had access to some of the deep suppressed grief and trauma in, in little, in little bits in the beginning, but I was learning how to be a safe space and, and release or discharge some of that. And then instead of judging or blaming or shaming or dismissing or sidestepping what I used to sidestep and, and, and blame and shame is like less than it was like, no, there's still like, there's a part of me that this is all very real for like, this is, this is another level of truth here in my human experience. That's not less than it's not less than conscious. There is a very real little girl that like experienced these things or had these feelings. And I didn't even have access necessarily all the time to exactly what I may have felt, you know, 20, 30 years ago when I was younger, but at least I was starting to show myself compassion and patience. And I think that's what helped with my neurological system, meaning I was creating positive associations for feeling and experiencing certain things instead of being this like overbearing parent I was becoming a loving parent for myself if does that make sense it does yeah I would love to hear some kind of tangible examples of this like some because you've mentioned, you know, you've had thoughts or feelings that you would sort of judge and then Mm -hmm. you were able to bring love to them after, you know, having this new awareness. So what was an example of something where that shifted for you? Well, I think if probably it would be better to like back up just a little bit and I don't remember what kind of, I don't think I ever had a negative thought I don't remember having negative thoughts necessarily when I was plugged Mm. into personal empowerment. I think it was part of my codependence too. Like it wasn't just personal empowerment and personal development's fault that I was this high functioning, traumatized, codependent person. It was also how I internalized my world, meaning how I learned to be in the world was like the good girl, very empowered, strong, helping everybody else. And, And that was because I had very weak, emotionally weak parents they weren't stable. I didn't have anyone. So it was like, so there was some of that going on too. So I don't remember necessarily having like negative thoughts or disempowered thoughts. I just got plugged into personal development, empowerment, and positive psychology 
because I think I was a natural born seeker. Like I, like I, the very first question, the very first time I remember getting in trouble was for asking why when I was very little, I asked why. And so I'm a natural born questioner prober anyway. (laughs) This is why we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) And then I also remember when I would get in trouble, I would back my parents into a corner because I would use like profound logic with them. And like, I remember my mom being like, you need to be a lawyer. Like what, like what, what is going on here? But they, you know, and so all they could do is pull the parent card on me. But anyway, so when I was going through, so then fast forward, when I was finally starting to feel when I was questioning what had happened, why I had gotten into this abusive relationship and was surrendering to all this deep, deep pain and grief that was coming up. Like I said, in the beginning, most of it was with myself. I realized I had self-abandoned for so long. Mm -hmm. And when stuff would start to come up, I would notice if I was in like, let's say an obsessive mind loop or train of thought or monkey mind, whatever you want to call it. And I would be like, I would, I would put my hands down on something and I would kind of like ground myself somewhere. And I would say, what are you really feeling? What's going on for you right now? And I would oftentimes for that first three months break down in a complete mess Mm. and just like, and I would be like, I hear you. It's okay. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving you. So for like the first three months, like it almost makes me want to cry talking about it. I had to, uh, promise myself that I wasn't going to abandon myself anymore. And I still, sometimes that's a little bit of a soft spot for me. Like even though I'm not at all inclined to self-abandon anymore, there's still a little girl inside of me sometimes that's afraid that I will. And I can sometimes see like if I'm triggered in a situation or if I show up a little bit angry or self-righteous, it's because there's still this little girl that's so afraid. I, I had to make a pact with her like a few weeks ago. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm like, we're different now. I'm not going to abandon you anymore. Like we we can still yeah. show up with a soft, open heart and loving and be very compassionate because this isn't about like you trying to morph or contort anymore to make everyone else happy and all these relations. Anyway, that was a bit of a tangent there, but so that's kind of what I was. Yeah. That's kind of what I was doing was just asking myself these very kind, compassionate questions. And so that's what I'm always asking myself because I'm still not perfect at it. Like we're still human. We're still not necessarily going to always be embodied and in the present moment. I don't think that's possible. (laughs) I don't think so either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I would love to also hear you define self-abandonment because I think a lot of people are familiar with that term now, but maybe not everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, God, that's like, such a layered topic. Okay. You're going to have to help me stay on track here. Great. So <laughs> self-abandonment for me in the beginning was in that breakdown breakthrough moment was realizing that I had totally ignored myself in order to, it was very codependent behavior in order to get love from somebody. So there was like, I was putting myself in an abusive, toxic situation in order to feel loved. And I understood where I was starting to understand where that was coming from. But so there was like that level of self-abandonment. And then there was a self-abandonment. I was also realizing from dismissing and sidestepping my humanity for all those years. Mm. And, um, and by that, you mean 
suppressing emotion. Yeah. Suppressing emotion, not being in full relationship with, yeah, my tender, like the tender part of my humanity, the part of me that does get hurt, the part of me that does get scared, the part of me that does feel frustrated and disappointed. Mm -hmm. Like she deserves just as much of a voice and an ear as like all my empowered training, you know, like, and I'm not saying that like I live from that space or I'm fused with that space or identified with the frustration or anger, but like, like I have conscious temper tantrums now. Like if it feels right, I'm going to freaking stomp my feet, you know? And it's like so wonderful to move that energy. (laughs) And you're kind of like laughing after you do something like that too. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, it's not like, I don't know. What's your experience with like the conscious temper tantrums and, and clean anger and, and stuff like that? Like, do you, cause you do some of that work too, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think it's, I think it's extremely helpful because when we bottle up our anger, it tends to come out through steam vents in sideways ways that are tend to look like passive aggressiveness or sabotage. Um, Whereas if we consciously allow the anger to flow through, then it tends to move quite quickly. And so if I feel angry, I used to shy away from that or try to pretend that I wasn't, or Mm -hmm. maybe I would, I felt really safe with the emotion of sadness just because it was such a familiar feeling. So I would let it express as sadness, but keep the anger part bottled up and, in the last few years, really, I just started giving that anger a voice and allowing myself to stomp my feet. And the way I sort of approach it is exaggerating it a little bit because uh-huh. it can be difficult at first to access it fully. So for me, picturing like what would an angry cartoon character do, mm-hmm. like that sort of like exaggerated demonstration of anger. I let myself do that. And then, then I'm actually able to tap into it and express it and move it. And I think the key there, especially for people like myself who've been dysregulated is to make sure I'm staying in my body as I'm doing that and not dissociating as I have a tendency to do. And, also not, you know, I guess the term is titration, um, you know, letting it come out slowly rather than having it be like a volcano. Cause that can actually fuel more dysregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, that sort of regular practice of letting off steam is I think very, very healthy and prevents a lot of depression, anxiety, and other symptoms of repressed anger. Yeah, you you talk about um, the staying in your body and not dissociating. I think what's interesting to me when you say that, I just want to make sure you and I are on the same like train of thought. You mean not going up into your head more, like actually being present to what you're feeling. Yes. In the body. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought you meant. And I think that was, I don't think that's natural for everyone. I think you're, I think that's very normal 
for that. I, for some reason, did not have any issues when I was doing some of this first feeling and, and emoting work staying in my body. And I don't know if that's because, I don't know if it was just like, because maybe I'm more inclined to be in body, like from all the bodybuilding and massage therapy and body work that I do, have done, yeah. or maybe it was because I didn't have sexual abuse as my particular kind of trauma. I don't know, but that I wanted to bring that up because I just wanted to clarify for people, like what we mean when we're saying staying in your body and not go, not diso- not to not dissociate again or more like yeah. to be really present in the body and not in your thoughts, but like feel the anger and it's, yeah. Yeah. And like you said, like just to kind of like emulate like a cartoon character might be kind of (laughs) helpful in the beginning to sort of start to feel into what that means, but how, you know, when you bring up like to not to titrate it a little bit and to not like go overboard, what do you mean by that, like, how would you know if you were going overboard or were get, starting to dysregulate further? That was something that I learned through trial and error because I did go overboard sometimes and felt the aftermath of that where I would feel like incredibly anxious afterwards. And so, this was something that you know, I started doing this practice and then did more research kind of after the fact when it wasn't really helping and realized that that was because I, let's see. So if you are dissociated while you're releasing anger, it kind of creates a deeper chasm between you and the trauma. Like you're not actually processing and healing it. Mm -hmm. And so when I say titrating it, I mean like, letting it out in in spurts but not necessarily going so deeply into it that you're lost in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which can happen if you know if you are feeling anger for the first time because for me this was I hadn't felt anger since I was a child I didn't even I had gotten to a point where I had sort of convinced myself that it wasn't even a real emotion. It was just sadness in disguise or sadness projected outward. I've heard that. And so I didn't really think it was real. So when I finally allowed myself to experience it, it came out like a volcano. And, but I was also in my head. And so it kind of swallowed me up. Interesting. Yeah. So what I realized since then, after doing a lot more research on it, is that creating a a tighter container around it, like, okay, I'm not going to do this for an hour. I'm going to do this for like three minutes and give myself a chance to kind of blow off some of the steam, but not necessarily like sink all the way down into it allows you to stay more present. Yeah, what I always notice with my body, because you and I, if anyway, we've talked about this so much <laughs> over the years, and and like you and I both talk about, it, it's not a one stop shop, and yeah. there's still always going to be like layers of stuff to come up. And I remember like that 2014 time period wasn't the only time period that I've had where I had a lot of stuff to discharge, but the way I've come to relate to it now or how I notice when it's helpful for me and when it's, is just 
I'll start, I start to feel a lightness or a release in my body. And it's like, okay, like I don't have to, this isn't about clearing it all now. It's about sensing in my body. So I'll sometimes feel an anxiety or anxiousness or like a, a vibratiness in my, um, what's it called? This sternum area or like right below my rib cage. And that's when I know there's something that I need to release or discharge and I'll either, so I just listen, like I'm going to go out for a walk and go cry and cry and cry and cry it out. Or I'm going to lay in my bed and scream for a few minutes. And it's when I start to feel that release or that opening up there in that chest sternum area, that's mm. when I know it's, okay. it's like, it's, it's enough. It doesn't mean it's gone. It's just like, it's enough. That's really cool that you have that awareness. How did is that something that you just naturally had? Yeah. Or was that something yeah. About? I did not learn that. I did not learn that. It wasn't in, t- yeah, that's, that's why I'm like, I think you and I have never really talked about that in that much detail. I think my body work and bodybuilding has helped me. So here's the irony is my body work that I've done for 21 years through massage therapy. And then the bodybuilding that I got into when I was 18 I've obviously meant to be a very grounded human being here. Like I'm inclined towards things that keep me active and keep me on my feet and keep me moving. And very much like I also knew that I had to be present, even like say in a massage room when I was massaging a client, because if I was checked out or going through something, it didn't matter if I was giving the client, the exact same massage that I'd given them before. It was like, they just didn't go over as well. Anyway. So mm-hmm. I think, so the irony here is that I think I'm naturally inclined to be more embodied, but whatever, for whatever reason, for all those different reasons we talked about, like with the trauma and my family of origin and then the spiritual positivity bypassing stuff, it was like, I can't, I was at war with myself. I just wasn't. Yeah. That's interesting, but you still maintain that body connection, which Mm -hmm. I think is amazing because our culture is so neck up. I think our devices and technology only further facilitates that. We don't have to move to do anything. We can just have everything delivered right to our doorstep and we can get all the information we need. We can have calls and connections with people all over the world without moving at all. Mm. And it just facilitates that neck up orientation toward living, which, you know, our brains are very powerful, but I think that body connection is so discounted in our, in our society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, we've, I mean, we've never, I've never really even thought about this before. This is actually the first time I'm like thinking <laughs> about all this stuff. So it's interesting. Um, Yeah. And maybe some of it too, was just having this like total breakdown moment too with myself where I was just became absolutely committed to learning how to be a safe space for myself too. Like, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure it was a lot of those things combined, but yeah, I like being in my body. That's for, that's why I've always loved bodybuilding too, is because like I could just, I could feel my body when I was lifting weights and stuff. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's just kind of funny now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I want to circle back to a, a term that you've used a number of times today is codependency. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Yeah. So I, ugh, one of the, 
things that I did when I was going through this whole breakdown, you know, sort of existential crisis stuff and the whole human was starting to come through me. And I was realizing all this whole human, you know, that we're having this, you know, amazing, beautiful human experience here. We're missing out on it for the most part. Um, one of the things that, uh, I got turned on to was that I might be a codependent and I don't remember, I think I saw a therapist once during that abusive relationship. And she suggested to me that I go to Al-Anon meetings. Mm-hmm. It still took me like, I think another six to 12 months to get out of that relationship. But anyway, um, I started doing some research on codependence when I basically swore off all self-help, but I was drawn to learning more about this codependent stuff and how I've come to understand it now. And I actually interviewed this guy for the the whole human radio. He's uh, his name's Robert Bernie. I somehow stumbled across his work and he had a much more holistic psycho spiritual, psycho, emotional, spiritual way of looking at codependence and the way I understand it. And the way he kind of explained it was that it's this way of looking or relying on the external people, circumstances, relationships, scenarios, accolades, whatever to, to define our sense of self and well-being and happiness and validation and okayness in the world. It's not exactly the way he described it, but basically he was saying that it's, you know, there's like, there's this whole, spectrum of let's say like there's a, there's flavors of ice cream right and we all might be like your flavor of codependence might be people pleasing in order to get love but like my flavor of codependence might be um like i'm trying to think of another good example like um looking for i guess like status in the world you know okay. could be codependent too um also, there's like, you know, narcissism, which is, it's basically the disease or, or the lost self. So it's like yeah. this way of not, it's not having a stable, foundational, integrated sense of self, which can look like narcissism, where you go out and you take from the world to, in order to feel okay or better in your own skin. Or it can be like codependent, where you're over, over, over giving in order to feel okay. Like you don't want anyone to be mad at you. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting. I keep thinking as you're talking about that of social media as a form of codependency, it's like this mass movement almost of codependency of people getting their value from external sources and likes and comments. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing more of that with young people now, which sort of becoming a socially validated way of receiving love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, so yes. And so the irony is, is that I think it's part of the human condition, meaning we're all yeah. codependent to some degree yeah. and our ability to develop a, to, to develop a healthy sense of self rooted from within sourced from within is basically determined by our family of origin, more or less, um, you know, and how healthfully we're able to individuate and separate and, and feel like but then, like you said, there's a, this society and culture, maybe it is just Western society and culture too, um, that 
and the commodification and the patriarchal shit, you know, it's like, I I guess it's Mm -hmm. all of it too. Like we're just taught that we're not okay unless we've got this thing or this car, unless we look a certain way. Yeah. That's all codependence. But, uh, where was I going with this? Cause I wanted to make a point. Um, Oh, the irony is that some of the spiritualisms, some of the high minded ideals that we're plugged into that we, you know, these Eastern wisdoms, whatever that like, you know, we are all love and that like, none of this really matters actually is ironically for me, it's funny because it is on some level now experientially. It's true. It's to totally meaning like, I don't have to do this stuff in order to feel worthy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I don't have this like striving desire to prove myself in the world anymore. I'm actually doing it because it comes from a place of like deep desire. And just because like, I kind of feel compelled to share this wisdom and strength and hope and experience with other people. And so that they can have access to some resources and wisdom that I didn't have access to, or another conversation or another dialogue that I didn't have access to, but, um, it's not, the end all be all like at the end of the day, I know who I am and who I am is I am this very, like I'm, I'm a loving person. I have, I'm this high integrity. I want to just be like Megan. I just want to love <laughs> and be in the world. And I, ex- yeah. I do experience that kind of high minded spiritualism stuff now more on an experiential level, but you don't get there conceptually. You don't get to slap on these high minded ideals without going through some of the other work, if you will, the deeper emotional excavation and the reconnection and the re-embodiment. Agreed. Yeah. A lot of that stuff that I started with has more meaning to me now than it did then in some ways. But if we start there and we end there, we, we miss out on this deep well of information that's contained in some of the shadow aspects of ourself and, and in our bodies and in some of the the pain and the wounding we have. In my experience, I'll just speak in terms of myself, I had to really feel into that to be able to come back to a lot of the, the more esoteric Eastern principles and actually have those land mm-hmm. in a deeper, more profound way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have to keep in mind too, like, different cultures, different times in the world, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, that might have some wisdom in it or might have some, you know, nugget of truth, but is it totally and completely applicable to today's modern day times and what we're bombarded with in this, you know, and the commodification of even like self-help and our wounding, you know, we have to be really careful. And I think, um, responsible with the impact and delivery of our messaging and our messages. You've talked about that a lot. I know even just within like the, the, the diet culture and exercise culture and all that stuff too. Um, but yeah, I, and there's, cause there's basically what I've come to realize is that if we're all running around as basically these little, like little big, whatever codependents that don't have an internally healthfully integrated foundational sense of self, then you go out into the world and you start trying to paste on or slap on or, 
these all of these high-minded ideals and principles what ends up happening is you just end up building more false self it's just prettier more enlightened false self so <laughs> the <laughs> the way the, we don't i like to say like the journey of being a soul having a human experience is about finding his light and his divinity through his humanity not through escaping it so we have to do like the groundwork first mm. yeah so for people listening to this, and I, I'm sure like you're going to be addressing this in very various ways in various conversations, but where do we begin? Where do we begin? Yeah, I think what I try to teach, and I hope it's coming through clear in my messaging, is most of us unfortunately did not experience or know what I consider to be a deeply compassionate, safe space in our childhoods. Let's just say, let's just say for the most part, but even then, if we did, maybe we get out into society and into, into culture and we're trying to fix all these problems by basically shaming ourselves more or making ourselves wrong or wounding ourselves the exact same way we were wounded in childhood, whatever. So I think the best place to begin, and if we look at this from like, even like you and I talked about like the neurobiological aspect too, if we just start to become a compassionate, safe space for ourselves, meaning being very kind, patient, loving, like don't try to push yourself into something that you're not ready for, or don't try to... I don't know. It's very like compassion to me. Self-compassion is what makes self-love tangible. So it's, it's yeah. how we are. It's like reparenting. It's how we are with ourselves. It's calming down the central nervous system because it's the loving space that we didn't get enough of or didn't get when we were younger. And I think as adults, uh, we, we probably should be going to school on how to be just compassionate with ourselves. <laughs> it's probably should I be, <laughs> I just think that's a very good basic place to start. Mm. And gotcha. if you've got like a mean, angry self berate or like berating, shaming parental voice, that's very strong. Cause there's a lot of type A people who do. Yes. And some of this self-compassion work stuff feels a little uncomfortable for you or like it gets stuck, I would just, I, so basically what I'm always asking myself is how would I talk to a five-year-old or how would I talk to a 99 year old woman or a 90 year old woman, you mm. know, someone who is elderly and then ask yourself why it's so hard to be compassionate with yourself. Like, what are you afraid of? What are you scared of? Like what's, cause when I've asked that question to some of my clients before, what I hear in, in, is some form of this. I don't want to be a victim and I don't want to pity or self or like wallow. Mm, Isn't it interesting how yeah. we collapse self-compassion with being lazy or wallowing or being a victim? Yeah. Yeah. That is a really common narrative. It's like, if I don't crack a whip on myself, then I'm just going to become this lazy, useless person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think that integrating 
having some association, some connection with what compassion starts to feel like. And it's like very much about not even pushing yourself to feel like maybe you're listening to this or, you know, you and I are talking about like all these feelings and stuff. Like maybe it's like, what am I feeling? I don't feel anything. Okay. It's okay. You don't have to feel anything today. Like, it's okay. Like, you know what I mean? Like just starting to create a non pushy, (laughs) judgy, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically the same way that I have approached it. I think it's easier for us to externalize compassion than it is for us to internalize compassion. And so the, the hack, I guess, for lack of better terms is to conceptualize ourselves in uh, a external way initially, like yes. how would I talk to a five-year-old? How would I talk to my best friend if she was dealing with this? Yeah. And then at first consciously choose to talk to ourselves that way, even if it's on top of Mm -hmm. something else initially in my experience, sometimes, you know, you can consciously talk to yourself nicely and then the unconscious thoughts will come back. Mm -hmm. But over time that practice begins to take hold. Yeah. Your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Like even, even leading up to starting this podcast, I, I hit this point in 2018 where I was really wanted to start it. And I was really pushing myself, pushing, pushing, pushing myself. Mm-hmm. And I kept hitting this like internal block. And of course all my empowerment training and everything was like, just push through the fear, just make it happen. Just make it happen. <laughs> There's never a perfect time, but I'm embodied enough now that I know to listen to like the internal resistance. And I was like, and so I always come back to these two questions. What do I need to do right now, just right now, that's most nourishing for myself? And mm. what do I need to do to show myself more compassion? And so for me, it was to not push myself that this would be there when I was ready to move forward. There was something that I needed. I don't know. There was just, I didn't know at the time what it was that I, why I needed to stop, but I did. And then what was most nourishing for me was to take care of myself in a little bit different of a way financially. I just wasn't looking at some stuff and there's a ton of interrelatedness between our, how we value ourselves in the world and our money anyway. So I just started taking care of myself in a different way financially and then put this on hold and all the, and like, and was okay with it. Like I'm just showing myself compassion because this feels very nourishing right now. And all of a sudden what ended up happening was I had all this, like this flood of memories come up for me from my childhood that totally was all around my value and my worth in the world. And I just got to heal some more stuff and see some more stuff and be more present to this, you know, little part of me that had internalized her world in in all these really fucked up ways anyway. And it was like this clearing happened for me. And then 2019 happens and I'm able to push and there's definitely, you know, some work and effort involved and and even sometimes a little bit of discomfort or fear, but it's not like this internal resistance. So my point is, is that I feel like on a very real level, I'm here to learn how to show myself more self-compassion and then therefore teach that to people. And I also have experienced over and over and over again, that this way of being with myself, it allows me to move forward. I'm not going to be like, my life is not going to fall apart. And if, and Mm. and if, And it actually creates a safe space for my human existence, my human experience here to be met fully. And it may look a little bit different than, 
you know, pushing myself through or setting goals and manifesting boards and positive affirmations. It may look a little slower. It may take a little bit more time, but ultimately I feel like I'm deeply connected to my, I don't know this, I'm going to use this word and I'm hesitant, but to my soul on some level, like I believe my humanity and my soul are really like that they're the same thing. I'm, I'm a soul and a human, a human and a soul, whatever. I don't know. It's all, but there's some, or my heart, I feel like compassion is the access point to all that. Mm. And it's, it's simple yet. It's not easy. It's a muscle that we have to rebuild. Yeah. Reminds me of, there's this song by Tina Dico. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Um, called count to 10. And one of the lines is sometimes the fastest way to get there is to go slow. Uh-huh. And our, once again, sort of our cultural tendency is faster is faster <laughs> and, you know, push, 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 grind, grind, grind. And I love that you're pointing to this alternative path, which is to listen to yourself and to slow down when your body, heart, mind is calling for you to slow down and that you still can move forward. I think that's a big fear for people is if I slow down, I'll just come to a halt and I'll never do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a really important place to bring this up here and see, and also to get your opinion on this because you've worked with a ton of women too, is I think those of us that have, um, more trauma have, a, it's going to, it has obviously all of us have trauma, but for those of us with more trauma, with more emotional neglect, with mo- more disordered attachment, with more stress in our environments, the more disconnected we are from ourselves and, and therefore on a deeper level or higher level, whatever you want to call it, love on some level. Right. Cause mm-hmm. so those of us that are here rebuilding a relationship with ourselves, it's going to take a little bit longer depending on how much trauma you have. Yep. Yeah. I, I wish that weren't true sometimes, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, it's absolutely true. And you, you said something earlier about mess. And I think that's like allowing ourselves to be messy, allowing for the emotional mess to be there takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of patience. And for those of us who've been deeply dysregulated and had really intense coping mechanisms, whether that's eating disorders or drug and alcohol abuse or positive thinking, positive thinking, (laughs) love addiction, all of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely put that in the same category. Um, you know, when we take a step back and focus on bringing ourselves that compassion and listening to ourselves, sometimes that's really uncomfortable because it requires us to slow down. And I've had periods of expansion where I'm moving, 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 doing, 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 Mm -hmm. and then periods of just very little movement and bringing compassion to that and saying, you know, I'm still lovable, even if I'm not producing a lot is, is not a natural thought Mm, for me. Right. That's something I've had to really practice and, you know, I've limped along um, and tried to ignore myself, you know, Mm -hmm. most of my life, you know, a lot of this awareness has really only come to me in the last four years. 
And so, you know, I had to, or I didn't have to, I chose to give that wounded part of me some space and it took more space than I, I thought it would. Right. Our minds hate it. Like our minds <laughs> like we should have been done yesterday. I know. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah. But isn't that kind of like the point that like, cause it could still like getting caught up in this idea that there's some like arrival point and really it's really is about the journey and the experience. And so like we are given this beautiful gift of free will, which I believe really comes down to how do you want this experience to go? And when, and oftentimes when people are being, you know, questioned on their deathbed or whatever, people who are getting ready to die and they talk about like the five top, top regret regrets of the dying. Like it's never about like, what they didn't accomplish or the the deal that they didn't make. It's about like allowing themselves to be happy and nurturing their relationships and, you know, taking time to slow down and enjoy like the simple stuff like that. So it is really about like not getting, like it's about balancing the human doing with the human being too. Yeah. It was, I, I think that's really what it is about. And I feel like, um, yeah, it's the compassion piece that helps with that. Yeah. And I think just for people listening, I just encourage anyone to just ask the question, you know, where is this, the drumbeat of this internal timeline coming from, you know, mm. where, where's the rush coming from? Mm-hmm. And to just get curious about that. There may be very legitimate reasons for why you have to get things done in a certain timeline, but there may not be, and there may be some creative solutions that allow you to give yourself some space and time to Mm -hmm. heal and, and fall apart a little and be a mess for a little while. Mm -hmm. And, and still not, you know, it's not like you have to hit rock bottom or completely let everything fall apart. But if we don't have any permission to fall apart, it can just prolong the healing process and make it more difficult to, to get to a place where we can actually move forward from a, a more, integrated place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cause when you're moving from that, like goal setting type a fear-based place, cause that's really mm. what I, where I was moving from most of my life when I was completely dissociated and disconnected, it was like, I, most of those goals were not fulfilling anyway. You know, like it wasn't like that was, that obviously wasn't supposed to be my life path. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it feels like this is, it's, a, it feels different. And it's an adjustment to move from this more patient, compassionate place, but it's definitely more nourishing along the way, not only because of how I'm, how I'm in relationship with myself, but because it's coming from a pure place, meaning I'm not trying to prove my worth and my value in the world anymore. Like I'm just Mm -hmm. giving what I want, want to give to people to provide some value for you you and your life if you want it if you take what resonates leave the rest whatever (laughs) I don't care you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyway um is there anything do you uh, so I think we like covered everything what whole human is kind of what I'm about yeah we did you did you asked some good questions (laughs) good I'm glad (laughs) awesome okay we're gonna love talking to you I love talking to you too um I think, I feel like we're finished. Is this a good place to stop? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Hey guys, you made it this far. You're officially a whole human triber. Thank you so much for listening in to today's show. I hope you found something incredibly insightful or helpful 
or something actionable that will help you along on your journey. After all, that is my mission to be a relatable, accessible voice. So here's what I need from you. If you can leave a review, a five-star review would be greatly helpful or whatever feels in alignment. Written reviews are even better. Remember to share with your friends, blast it out on social media. That's also incredibly helpful. iTunes loves that. So thank you for being here again. And don't forget to tune in and subscribe so that you can get alerts for next week's show. Love you. All love.